We're going to read in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. This particular letter was the letter that we started out with, this portion of this uh, letter in Philippians. We started out with week one with this series. Today we're jumping back to it. And the person writing this, when he says, I thank God, this is Paul. He's writing this to the people of Philippi, the Philippians. And the Philippians lived, and it wasn't a very big uh, province. It wasn't a, a very big colony of people. It was part of the Roman Empire, and, and it was quite small. And they were struggling with some things. They were struggling with their unity, their ability to be together in their togetherness, and to find joy in some of the things that we go through in life. Because we all have this in common, no matter what the size of our bank account, our home, no matter what our zip code, no matter what ethnicity, it doesn't matter what language we speak, first, second, or third. We all will struggle with life has its ups and has its downs. That we will all one day breathe our last breath. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them. He's, gonna, he's saying, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you that we're together in this. And so Paul is writing this letter to these, this group that he loves dearly that he's lived life with. He says, in all of my prayers for all of you, verse four, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We're going to talk about three things. Thank you, Jeff. Everyone give Jeff a huge round of applause. <clears throat> I need something hot for my, for my throat, so this is helpful. There's going to be three things that we're going to talk about today as it, as it pertains to an increasing love-centered community. Number one, what does abounding love look like? Paul says, I pray, the first thing he says, that your love may abound more and more. So what does abounding love look like? Number two, how is abounding love possible? Because after I described to you this morning what abounding love is, if you're anything like me, you're going to hear the description and you're going to get a good understanding and you're going to say, how in the world is that possible? Because when I understood it, as I studied it and I dug into it more, I got to the point where I even asked myself, how is this possible? Like, And I said, I can't do this. How is abounding love possible? Number two. And number three, what is the result of abounding love? This is important. What is the result? So number one, what does abounding love look like? So Paul says to them, your love may abound more and more. Let's describe what love is. Love, in this case, is more than merely an emotion. It's not, it's not this feeling that we get that's warm and fuzzy. We, we tend to use the word love a lot in our culture. So we love a lot of things. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and they're like, "What's your?" We're having this debate. What's your favorite fast food or quick service restaurant? Because you can't 
Now that's the new thing. The, the newer restaurants aren't fast food anymore. They're quick service. Did you know that? Oh. So some people are like, you're on my Chick-fil-A. They love Chick-fil-A. Do not go to Chick-fil-A and tell them that it's fast food. They will correct you and say, we are quick service. Did you know that? They are quick service. They are, they are, not, they are not fast food. Anyway, we, that was, that, this, you have that for free. Um, Popeyes? We, yeah, Jeff and I used to have a debate. I used to live right next door to Jeff down in the valley in Oside. Deep Valley. We used to have a debate. Kentucky Fried Churches or Popeyes? I'll tell you what. I love Popeyes. Okay? Red beans and rice. Dude. Pastor Jeff and I used to roll up to Popeyes down in the Deep Valley and buy like 50 pieces of chicken. I'm serious. And our, our families, it would be gone. They'd smoke it. Gone. There was no leftovers. None. We love Popeyes. Okay? So we love a lot of things. We, I, love, I love the new iPhone that came out. I love my car. I, lo- I love him. Right? You don't even know him. You just follow him on Instagram, stalker. I love him. You better get out of his DMs. Can I get an amen? amen? Some of you, some of you are like, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know what he just said. <laughs> DMs. <laughs> I think I had one of those this morning. <laughs> I'm not scared. I'll say anything. Okay. So we love a lot of things. Let me describe for you what this love means. This word is agape love. It's the unconditional part of love. It's, there's, there's three main words in, in the Bible that we would read for love. Uh, agape, phileo, and eros. Eros is the word that we get erotic from. I don't need to tell you what kind of love that is. That's, that, that, that's romantic love. Okay? Phileo love. It's friendly. Agape is like unconditional. This is the type of love that God has bestowed on us and that we love him with. And then he's calling, in this scripture, Paul is calling us to love each other with. Okay? It's affection or benevolence. It's unselfish. It's loyal. Benevolent intention and commitment toward one another. It is unconditional. So here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make a very simple statement. This is this is a common phrase you've probably heard, but this type of love, this is how I would describe it. Love looks like something. It is more than a feeling. It looks like something. The word abound. So Paul says, I want your love to abound. What does the word abound mean? 
So we already have this idea. Can I just tell you that this idea of loving someone unselfishly and unconditionally, that already puts it out, just so you know, that puts it out of range for most of us in our humanity. Because we are conditional people, right? So it's hard for us to love unconditionally. No matter what we're going to love. That's easy to say, very hard to do. So just, just if I said, if I was Paul and I wrote this letter to the Philippians, and I said, can you just love each other? That would be hard to do in and of itself. But he goes on. He says, I want your love to abound. The word abound means to increase, to be in excess. Abundance. To be the better. To exceed. Okay, this, this is the one that got me. To have more than needed as in to have some left over. What this word means is that Paul is saying, I want you to, I want you to love to the point that the object of your affection is overwhelmed and there's still some left over. That you would be overwhelmed and still have affection left over. The word more. This takes it up a whole nother level. Hey, I want you to be unconditional. It's got to look like something. It's unselfish. It's, it's intentional. So this word love. And it's going to be, it's going to be to the point of exceeding in excess of what's even necessary to the point of after you've overwhelmed your object of affection with love. There's some left over, and I want that to be more. And more. He calls it for, he calls to increase. The word more and more, to a greater degree, to a greater degree or better. Here's what this tells me. It's not that I have a handful of love, and Paul is saying you need to have two handfuls. He's saying it, 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 there is a quantity aspect, but this is a quality aspect. That I, I want you, I want you what you're giving, I want the love that you're increasing with to be of higher quality and higher quality and higher quality and higher quality. So I'm going to reread this. Paul says to the Philippians, I would like your benevolent intention and commitment toward one another to exceed what is even required to greater degrees. And I'm going to add this. To the point that there's some left over at the end of you being loved. We talk about being together in togetherness. Last week we said, you know, to being together in togetherness. And at the core of this, I will tell you, is loving each other. Loving each other well. Being together in our togetherness. We need to learn to love each other well. But this type of love, and, and, and here's the statement, if evident love is not present, let me say that again, if evident love, if, there, if, it, if it's not measurable, if you can't see it, if it doesn't look like something, if evident love is not present, if evident love is not present, then we were never truly together in the first place. 
We can say that we're praying for someone. We can encourage them with our language. And we can sit next to them in a seat on a Sunday morning. We can even show up to a group midweek. We can participate in some form or fashion. And we can remain shoulder to shoulder. And our love still may not look like something as Paul describes it. And the truth is, if we don't have evident love, we have to question whether or not we were ever together in the first place. So being together and togetherness requires loving better more often, and it is measurable. There will be evidence. There will be evidence. Number two, how is abounding love possible? Now, what I just read to you seems, for me, like if it was a pass-fail, give me the F right now. Red strike, fail me. Because I don't, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't have what it takes to do what Paul just described. Maybe you do. But I'm going to make a very broad, generalized statement that I think is true. And if you're an outlier and don't fall within this, that you got some amazing love going on. I don't know how you're doing it. But I don't think any of us on our own have the ability to love the people around us the way that I just described. I think we're all in the same boat. So how is it possible? So he says, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Here's the key. Knowledge and depth of insight. Knowledge means the understanding of things ethical and divine. The understanding of things ethical and divine. Why is this important? Paul knows that abounding love and your ability and my ability to abound in love more and more is rooted in our understanding of things that are ethical and divine. I'll say it this way. Your ability and my ability to love abounding more and more, it's rooted in our understanding of God. Who is he? What does his love look like? How has it impacted me? And if I can understand who God is, I'm on the pathway of getting into the root system so that I can be able to be nourished in my own life to be able to love people the way that Paul is describing. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Now this scripture says, May the who? Lord. I didn't. I, I can't read this and replace it. I can't say, hey, Pat, I really hope you can make yourself love each other overwhelmingly with overflow and increase. It's not what it says. Who is it that makes me? Who, who, who is it that builds in me? Who, who is it that gives me the ability to love increasingly to the point of overflowing? It's God and God alone. We can only give love unconditionally if we get love from an unconditional source. We can only give this love that abounds more and more if we get it from the source that has love that abounds more and more. 
We have to have an understanding and we have to draw from that bank account. Too often what happens is we shop with our own wallet on other people's behalf. Would you like me to describe what that means? Okay. God wants us to love other people and we love other people from the capacity of our bank account of love. And what he's saying is, is that if you understand the capacity of my love for you and how it's abundant and it has no end, as my kid, you get to go out with my credit card, my debit card of my bank account of love. And the problem is, is that we too often shop with our own wallet on other people's behalf. I don't feel like I'm making sense. We make decisions sometimes on how we're going to purchase things based on how much money is in our own account. And sometimes you need to make the decision on what you're going to purchase based on what's in your daddy's account. Because you're a trust fund kid. And so when you walk into the dealership, you're there to only get the best. And you don't stress out about how you're going to pay for it when there's a need. Because your father's account could cover it and probably that same thing for every other person on earth and have some resource left over. So what I'm saying is, is we love people through the lens of how much love we have in our capacity. And we need to love people based on how much love capacity God has. Because when we're drawing from that account, it will never run out. And we worry too much that our love will run out if we love people this way. I can't do that. But if I, if, if I gave you access to an account that you were now just the vessel, the conduit, it wouldn't be a big issue, would it? We have to get to know the unconditional source if we're going to love unconditionally. Do not shop with your own love account. Shop with your daddies. Amen? In order to do this, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Something that can be grown. Something that has to be nurtured. Something that needs to be fertilized. Jesus sees love as a test of being an authentic follower of him. Jesus sees love as an authentic, as a test of being an authentic follower. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you were my disciples or followers. Okay. If I am not loving people, I have to question a couple things. Number one, am I actually spending time at the source? 
Number one, am I spending time at the source? So, some of us need to go. Some of us need to get online and check the balance of our account every once in a while to understand that our account is overflowing. Our account, the love that God has for you and for me, that it's overflowing. We need to check the balance of that account. And, it, and it's a test of our disciple, of our followership. So if I'm not loving people, number one, I may not be attached. I may not have a good understanding of the account. Or I just may not be a follower of Jesus. Because I can go, I, I fully get how much Jesus loves me. I just am not going to love anyone with that same kind of love. I would seriously question whether or not you are a follower, of you are a believer of Jesus. But you're just not following Jesus. And can I tell you that what we're looking for, because this is what Jesus was looking for, we're looking for at Movement Church, people that are willing to grow in their following of Jesus. Merely believing in Jesus isn't doing anything. I Believing actually manifests into a followership. Because I believe you, because I trust you, I'm going to follow you. So Jesus sees this as the test of our discipleship, of our followership. John writes in the book of 1 John 3.10, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Okay? This is about to divide everything right now. Now John explains that love isn't only a requirement, but it's a test of our salvation. So John takes a step further and says, Based on our ability to love, this is going to separate whether or not you, you may you may have. And, and he's not saying that. John is not saying this as I'm looking at your life. You're not saved. He's saying you may want to reflect on your life and question whether or not you've given your life to Jesus or not. Jesus is always there to do the saving. Sometimes I'm not willing to be saved. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. If I am not loving with abounding love more and more, if I'm not going to the source and I'm not loving people out of that, I need to question whether or not I'm even a child of God. That's what this is saying. So an increased knowledge about God's love. Let, let, let me say this this way. If I can have an increased understanding of God's love for me, it will increase my love for him. And it will culminate in an increased love for others. Notice this is where it started. How are we going to abound in love? grow in my understanding of how much God loves me and my affection is deepened because I understand how much he loved me and I love him. It starts here before it can ever happen here. So when I say we're in this together and we're going to go after our, our homes and our workplaces and our cities, sometimes we sit in the seat and we just go, that's just, how is that even possible? I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even know if I can.
barely understand how much God loves me. I'm giving you the framework for what it is that we are here to accomplish. I want you to understand how much you are loved by God. And I want your affection to grow toward him. And I'm telling you explicitly that our role in our cities and our homes and in our workplaces and our schools is that out of this vertical understanding and increase, we will allow our love to increase and abound more and more horizontally here. That is who we're called to be. Number three, what is the result of abounding love? What is the result? He says, Paul says, I want you to do this. I want you to abound in love more and more. And and ultimately he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best. So that you may be able to discern what is best. I'm going to read this Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2. And this is the message translation of this passage. And I love the message translation because it's just very simple. It's in language that you and I would probably speak in today, very common vernacular. Um, And it starts out by saying this, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Now, uh, how many of you have ever trained a child to come downstairs or climb off of a bed or something, a couch or something high? I don't know how you did it. Okay, so there's a lot of ways you could do it, and there's a lot of ways for children to get off of high places or come downstairs. We do something called feet first. Does anyone do feet first in their homes? Anyone? Yeah, yeah, I got some. Okay, okay. One of the other services, I said feet first, and people were like, "Huh? What's that?" Here's what feet first is. We have an eight-month-old right now who wants to crawl off of our bed, and she gets to the end of the bed, and she she doesn't go feet first. She goes what? Head first. It's the biggest thing on her body. It's just like, it's a weight. She gets it off the edge of the bed, just like pulls her over, you know? She just, <laughs> whoop, right off the bed. I catch her, and I say, hey, listen, Nohea, feet first. And at which case, she looks at me. I don't understand what you're saying. So I put her up on the bed, and I turn her, and I show her feet first. Our four-year-old jumps on the bed, and she wants to show her feet first. So she's crawling off the bed feet first. And what are we teaching her? We're te- hey, this is the way you do it. So we find ourselves as parents doing funny things, okay? All of a sudden, you're a grown man, and you're crawling backwards off the bed. And you're going, feet first, feet first, you know? If you could just have a video of that. Now, I want, I, want, I want to point out the fact that there's a lot of ways that she could get off that bed. But I'm actually showing her as the dad what's best, Watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. We can do a lot. We can love a lot of good ways. But the byproduct and the result of an abounding love is that we will love best. We won't just get the job done. It'll be best. We won't just get off the bed and survive. But this will be the best. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. 
His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. This says that God, his love was not cautious, but it was extravagant. You know what the word extravagant means? Beyond measure. Seemingly ridiculous. That he says that he wants us to love other people like this. That sounds a little bit like the love that I described to you that abounds. Like to such a degree that the people around you are overwhelmed and there's some left over. And to the point of being seemingly ridiculous, kind of like when he says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for you and to die for me. That sounds like complete lack of caution for a father to send his child into a place and a space where he was going to die. And and it's it's somewhat seemingly ridiculous that you would do that. But that's the depth of the value that God has for you is that he would do what seems like it's got lack of caution. We sing songs somewhat reckless. It seems God is not reckless, but it seems reckless to you and I, doesn't it? It seems somewhat ridiculous to you and I. Loving best. Abounding love is the best. We can love other ways, but abounding love is the best. That's the way that God loved us, and he says that's we should observe and learn from him, and then we should go do that. So I'm going to stick with the story that abounding love is best. And loving best asks this question. Does this bring value? person or the people around me? Does this bring value? And here's what it does not ask. It does not ask, is this helpful? It does not ask, is this going to hurt anyone? It asks the question, Does this bring value to the person or the people around me? Here's why this is important. For a long time in my life, have you ever been caught up in something and you're doing something and I call it in your world? And do you know where your world exists? Right here. This is where your world exists. I'm not talking about like your home and where that's not your, this is your world. Your world needs to be transformed. That's why it says that we need to be transformed in our mind. Your world needs to be transformed. And sometimes in my world, I'll ask this question. I'll start to make a decision to do something. And this is what I'll say. Is this going to hurt anyone? And it's as if I'm setting myself up to make this statement. I can continue to make this decision 
when I'm away on that business trip, I can continue to make this decision when no one's in the car with me. I can continue to make this decision in my mind. I can continue to make this decision in the quietness of my home. I can continue to make this decision in the darkness where no one can see. I can continue to make this decision underneath the premise that this doesn't really hurt anyone. And if we're in this together, the problem is, is that if I'm not bringing value to you, I'm hurting you. And I can't, it's a paradigm shift. I can't ask the question, is this hurting you? I have to ask the question, is it bringing value to you? That leads me to a far different landing place. Because sometimes there was a long time in my life I was stuck in patterns. Come on, some of you know what I mean. And, we're, and the pattern we get stuck in is because we'll ask the question, is this hurting other people? Well, it's only, and we, we'll even go as far as to say this is only hurting me. It's not hurting other people, though. And the question that I had to start asking is, is this bringing value to other people? That will lead me to a different decision. Is this helpful? Jesus could have chosen a lot of ways to be helpful in my life. And it's a bit like I, I, rec I, I, I would recognize maybe this. That God as a father looks at his son Jesus and says, I'm looking at my, at my kid, Pat. Fill in your name. The father's looking at you. And you're struggling and, and, and you're, you're month to month. You got more month than you have money in your life. Maybe literally and figuratively. And the father looks in and says, I need to go to the bank and I need to check in on the account of my kid. And the father walks in and says, I need to, I need to get the balance on my kid's account. And they go, well, sir, his account's overdrawn. Because did you know that my account in my life before Jesus was overdrawn? And in this moment, like the father walks in, I need to check on my kid's account. And the, and the, the bank person says, you, sir, your, your, your son's bank account is overdrawn. Well, let me be helpful. How much is he overdrawn? He's overdrawn $56.37. I'm going to give you $56.37 then. And we need to get it because this is going to be helpful. We need to get him back to zero. That's helpful. Adding value was when the father stepped in and said, I need to check on the spiritual account of my kid, Pat. And the banker, the person who was trying to judge me at the time maybe said, oh, sir, it's unbelievable how the, the big the deficit is in Pat's spiritual account. And the father said, oh, $56.37? How about I give you a trillion dollars to put into that account? And that seems rather ridiculous to you and I, but that's what extravagant love does. Because the father asked the question, what's going to bring value to my kid, Pat? Not what's going to be helpful. Do you, are, you, are you with me this morning? And God said, I, I, he's saying to you this morning, I am bringing value to you in your life because you are valuable. And I want you to bring value to other people's lives because of their value. And so if you see, remember that love abounding is abounding is like bringing what's necessary and then has like, oh, and then it overwhelms them and then there's some left over. So this is the question. You see a need? 
We see a need in the community. The kids down the street at San Marcos Elementary. The people that we feed on a, on a monthly basis. The families. The missions work that we do. The families that are in desperate need right now, today. People, you, sitting in the seat that are in desperate need. And we're together in our togetherness and increasing love. We will have resource to do everything that you see happening here on a Sunday. And what I'm talking about is it, the money that it costs to have the lights and the AC, sometimes when it works and sometimes when it doesn't. Can I get an amen? Okay. So we guess what? We have to facilitate all of that. But I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the over and above. I'm talking about the people that are calling us and saying, we, we need help. Our child is in the middle of a horrible situation and we're at Rady's Children's Hospital and we don't have and we need and we say you know what because of the ridiculous extravagant love that we bestow on each other and our togetherness at the movement church we have the resources to love you but also to go beyond that 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 is who that is who I want us I want us to continue to press into that as a family because we're answering the question, how are we bringing value to the people's lives around us? We're not just asking, is this helpful? Is this helpful almost becomes, what's the minimum that I need to do to make you feel like I'm actually together with you? Now I may say, what do you need? Well, this is what I need. And then you are overwhelmed with a barrage of less than cautious, extravagant love. Philippians 2.1. I'm going to end with this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion that make my joy complete, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Here you go, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, do what? Value It is my goal to increase the net worth of your life every way. Physically, your health, mentally, emotionally, monetarily, spiritually. But when we're together in our togetherness, love is increasing. We will see the value of our community. I tell you that your life will have increased value if you increase the value of the lives around you? I'm sitting with a business guy. I'm going to end with this story. I said, how did you become so successful doing what you're doing? He said, it's very simple. And this gentleman's younger than me. I'm 46. He's, I think, in his late 30s, mid to late 30s. He invests in real estate. He, he deals in real estate. 
So I was 22 years old and I got out of college and my father was really successful at real estate. And one of his partners, who's developed a lot of what we know in North County, and I won't get into the names of those things, doesn't that's not important, but very astute at real estate development and investment. I said I was 22 years old, just got out of college, and I thought it was pretty hot stuff. My dad's successful, I'm going to step in, I'm going to knock this thing out of the park. And I show up, and I'm talking to this older gentleman, and he says to me, let me tell you two things that you're going to need to be successful. Number one, you can always make money no matter what the market's doing if you have the humility to hustle. The economy's bad. I can't make any money. He goes, wrong answer. You just got to change your hustle. So you just got to humility to hustle. Number two, he says, let me tell you that he goes, let me tell you that the biggest factor. If you can bring value, if you can increase the value. Monetarily, in a business person's world, you will all always have an increase in value monetarily. What was he telling him? That your value will increase as you learn to increase the value of others. This is a biblical principle, actually, that's being applied to real estate. We, I, I, I like, I have this crazy dream in my head that we would live, regardless of what the market society is doing, that our humility to hustle with love that abounds more and more, that I have this dream inside of me that we would live, we would, together in our togetherness, in a way that brings increasing value to the people around us. It's your life. You would have an increasing value to your life. Let's stand. Here's some, here's some questions to take home. Here's the question. This is for you to ask yourself and reflect on. And when I ask this, this isn't something you're probably going to answer immediately sitting in the seat or listening or standing here this morning. Is my home, is my school, is my workplace, or is my city seeing increasing value because of my increasing love? I believe the church that Jesus Christ died for is the most valuable thing in any community. We have the power to bring the best and the most increased value. The power that you presently hold today. I want you to know you are presently powerful because of the value that you carry. God wants to dust off your hearts this morning. So that you can begin to see the value marked on your heart. It says priceless. It means it's worth so much that you can't put a dollar amount on it. Second question today. Is my life 
increasing in value because of my increasing knowledge of the Father's love and value for me. Is your life increasing in value because you have an increased knowledge of God's value for you? Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never experienced this this increased value in your life. Maybe you're saying, I I believe in Jesus, but I'm not following Jesus, but I I want that increased value in my life. I need to know more. I want to know more. This is your opportunity. We want to come alongside of you spend a few moments with you. You can do that. You can come forward. We can pray with you at the end of the service. Come forward now if you want. We have a team that would love to pray for you. If you're struggling this morning, if you are struggling this morning with your sense of value and worth, I'm here to tell you that you are priceless. You have value that is beyond measure. And I will keep telling you that until you start walking in a belief system that represents that knowledge. For the rest of us, I'm just going to pray. Father, as a family, that we would all dream together about what it would look like, but we'd begin walking in that dream. As we pray and we encourage and we're together in our togetherness, that it would be done centered with an increasing love that it looks like something, that as we get to know you more and more, we have a higher ability to be able to love people the way as you've called us to love them. God, we're not going to get it perfect, but we know there's power in it. So we want to go after the power in it. We thank you, and all together, in Jesus' name we say, amen and amen.